0: Please take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of Acts as we gather together to hear the word this morning. This morning, we're going to be in what is probably my favorite book of the Bible, the book of Acts. And the reason that I love the book of Acts so much is because of what we see happening in this book. You know, Luke writes and tells us what happens after the resurrection of Jesus. And so Jesus then ascends, and we see this small band of Christ followers that are huddled together in prayer uh, in a room. And then by the end of the book of Acts, we see that the gospel has gone all across the Mediterranean region. So we see the gospel going from Jerusalem and trans. Going out to Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria and uh, places like Corinth and uh, and Rome and all these different places. And so it, it's, a, it's a powerful book to read to see how the gospel uh, advances uh, through the world there. And then we see these amazing stories of God working to advance his kingdom. We, we see things like Pentecost where the spirit falls. Peter stands up and preaches and 3,000 people are saved right there. We see things like the story of, of Stephen and how he stood firm proclaiming God's truth even in the face of being killed. We, we see things like Paul going all over the world there and how he endured all these different things for the proclamation of the gospel so Christ would be honored and so the gospel would go forth to all these people. And so when I, when I read the book of Acts, I, I get what is part of actually a bigger story of what God is doing. In Acts 1-8, we get this, this commission that Jesus gives to his followers. We get this commission which he says for them to go and make disciples of all the nations, where he says to go, be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so everything that we see happening in the book of Acts is them being obedient to that as they go out, proclaiming Christ. And so this is what's driving everything that is taking place in the book of Acts. It's driving uh, Peter's uh, proclamation. It's driving Stephen's standing firm on the gospel. It's driving Paul as he is going through all the things that he is doing as they take the gospel to a world that is desperately in need of hearing the truth of who Christ is. And so this going and taking The gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth was the mission that was given to the church then, but it's the mission that continues for the church now. You see, we are a part of this bigger story. Acts 1-8 starts out this story of the gospel advancing all throughout the world. But now, 2,000 years later, we continue as part of that bigger story of God's purpose to take the truth of Christ all around the world so that people from every tribe, tongue, nation, people, group hear the truth of Christ and can believe in Him. So this morning, my desire is for you to see what this mission is that has been given to us as Christ's followers. For us to see the mission that has been given to the church, to us as followers of Christ, and then what that might look like for me and you continuing in that mission today. So take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, starting at verse 1. We start with the foundational mission truth. For the church. That foundational mission truth of the church is that the mission that we have is making Christ known. So pick up Acts chapter 3 verse 1, glance through that. I think most of you are familiar with this story that we're going to be dealing with. We come to a passage this morning in which I want to give you just the Cliff Notes version before we really dive into it. Peter and John are going up to the temple at the time of prayer. They see a man who is lame from his mother's womb, sitting there begging for alms. Peter looks at him and says, Neither silver nor gold do I have, but that which I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And so this man starts jumping up and down and running around. This gathers a crowd. Peter proclaims the gospel. Peter and John get arrested, thrown in jail, and then told no longer to proclaim the name of Christ. And so in a microcosm here, we're we're getting a little bit of a picture of the mission that we have as believers. And and so most of you know this story. This is something that you have have read, you've heard before, and you're familiar with. But have you ever thought about why is it that Luke includes this passage here? I mean, there are a million and one things that Luke could have included when he was writing out the book of Acts. He doesn't include every single thing that happens to the disciples or what they do. But think about what he chooses to put in here. Pentecost and the the expansion of the kingdom after after Peter preaches, 3,000 people saved. Here, where they are told no longer to preach the gospel. And then we're gonna see what happens at the end of this. All these things that we're seeing throughout the book of Luke, or the book of of Acts, is how Luke is describing for us the advancement of the gospel, this fulfilling of the mission that has been given to uh, Christ's people. And and so this that we're reading here isn't merely a history lesson. It's not just a story of something that happened 2,000 years ago, but it's instruction for us about the mission that you and I have as part of the church. And it's a reminder for us of what we are to do in carrying out that mission. So pick up with me in Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. A man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk. He entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the, at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So, Peter, here, going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, sees this man, says, rise and walk. And this man rises and walks, and he starts jumping around, I'm sure uh, kind of hooping and hollering, excited about what has happened with him being able to walk now. And what do you expect happens at this point? This is a man who has been sitting at these stairs for years, never walked before. And so all these people who have gone in and out of the temple every single day now see this man who they've walked beside thousands of times. They now see him up and jumping around when, when he could never walk before. So what do you think happens at that point? Crowds start flocking around and gathering around this man as he is jumping around. They see Peter and John there and they're wondering what has gone on. What has taken place so that this man can now leap and walk and jump and move around when he was never able to before? So what does Peter do? Peter is the bold one, so he begins to immediately proclaim the gospel. He starts sharing Christ. So listen, listen to what he says next to him. He's, he's bold here, so listen to what he does. Now he's speaking to all this crowd that gather around, these all Jews that are, that are around. Pick up at verse 14. Speaking, speaking to the crowd here. But you disowned the holy and righteous one. You asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. The faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. And so Peter is just straight up with him. All these folks who are gathered around him he said, let me tell you what this is. The one that you crucified, the one that you put to death not too long ago... This man is jumping and he is running because of the power of the name of that one who you put to death. It's a bold statement that Peter is making to this crowd. But he doesn't leave it right there. He takes it to the gospel so they will hear the truth. Listen to verse 19. Skip down there. Therefore, now he tells them, this is what you need to do in light of what this is. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that at times of refreshing... They come from the presence of the Lord. Look, you see this man who is, who is jumping around that you have never seen walk before? Let me tell you what happened. It was because of the power of the name of Jesus that this one is walking. The one that you crucified, he is alive. And let me tell you what, if you will repent of your sins, turn from them, he will bring life to you and forgiveness of your sins. Now, remember, we're We're talking here about the mission of the church. We're talking about the commission that Christ gave to Peter and all those who were gathered around there and the mission that continues on to today. And so we see this right here. We see Peter in the midst of all this Jewish crowd that some of them had been crying out for Jesus' crucifixion. And he boldly stands before them and says, you crucified this man But you can have forgiveness in life through him. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this, it it may be tempting for me to say, you know, that kind of boldness, that kind of just laying out the gospel is, is something maybe that I would expect from Peter. You know, he's an apostle. He was there with Christ He walked on the water. But but how does this relate to me? Now here's here's the thing I want you to see here. Even Even though we see Peter being so bold right here, I don't want us to get the impression that the advancement of the gospel in Acts is something that was merely by the apostles. It wasn't something that was merely by those who were in leadership positions. Because I I think sometimes we could read something like this and say, oh yeah, that's Peter. That's not me. Now, I want you to flip over to a couple other pages in Acts so so you see how this works out in in just everyday, normal believer's life. Flip over to Acts chapter 8. Flip over there for just a second. All right, Acts chapter 8, verse 1. This follows right after the death of Stephen. Remember, remember, Stephen stood up and he preached this long sermon laying out who Christ is and how life could be found in him. And, and so the crowd gathers around and they're, they're violently angry and they, they stone him and he dies right there. So now we pick up with what happens right after the death of, of Stephen. Saul was in hearty disagreement with putting him to death. And so it's just kind of following along there. And then on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Okay? Remember, what what city is this in? Do you remember? Where, where, Where are all the disciples and everybody gathered right now? All right, they're in Jerusalem, right? Now, so this persecution breaks out against all Christians, you know, after the death of Stephen. So who is it who stays in Jerusalem? Look at the text. Who stays in Jerusalem? All right, that's the apostles who stay in Jerusalem. Now, who is it then who is scattered and goes out to the other regions? It's everybody else, the rest of the believers. So now, all right, we've got the average, everyday, normal follower of Christ who is scattered out to Judea and Samaria. You see how God is working out his plan here? Where is it to go in Acts 1-8? Jerusalem? Where? Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So now who is it who's who's been scattered out to Judea and Samaria? It, it's the church, right? It's it's you know the everyday average believer who's gone out. And so God is using just the faithful followers of Christ for the proclamation of the gospel all throughout these areas. Now flip back over again to Acts chapter eleven. Acts chapter eleven, starting at Uh, verse 19. I want you you to hear what's going on here. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. So then, those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen. All right, so remember, they're scattered after this persecution. They made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But There were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also and preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number believed and turned to the Lord. All right, so look at the cities that are listed there. All right, to to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. Okay, who are these people who are scattered to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch? It's the church, right? It's just the followers of Christ. Now, look, again. There were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and they, they began speaking. The hand of lords Lord was with them and a large number believed. Now, I want you to remember back to reading through the book of Acts. What do you remember about Antioch and the church that was started there? You, you remember that Antioch was, was the kind of the, the home base of missions for Paul? You remember that this, this is the church that sent out Paul was where he went to and where he went back and forth from in missions? And who was it started by? Who were the ones who were faithful in starting this church there? Believers, right? We're not talking about Peter. We're not talking about uh, James or any any of these other big names that we think of. We're talking about people like me and you. We're, We're talking about businessmen who are going out. We're talking about families who are taking their their little kids, their Caleb and their Emily, and they're going along, and they go and they're proclaiming Christ as they go, just just like us. And so when we read about the gospel expanding here in Acts chapter 3, don't think, don't think that this is God just using Peter and John or some others for the proclamation of the gospel and the advancement of the gospel and the growth of the church. This is happening all over Acts in which God is using the church as a whole for proclaiming Christ and seeing the gospel spread all across the world. And so when you see the boldness of Peter here, don't think, this is not for me. This is. This is the mission of the church, not the mission of the apostles. This is the mission of the church, not the mission of the pastors. This is for all of us proclaiming Christ and seeing the gospel advance all around the world. Now, I think there are a lot of things that we could say about this. I think there are a lot of things that we, could, that we could look at in regard to this and we could say, you know, this is what we can pull from this. Here here's just a couple things that I want you to notice. First of all, I want you to know that one of the best ways, one of the best ways in making Christ known is through the routine of our everyday life. One of the best ways for making Christ known is through the routine of our everyday life. Now, when was it that Peter and John were going up uh, to the temple? Do you remember? When was it? It was ninth hours, the, the hour of prayer. So we have a couple different times that uh, during the day when devout Jews would go to the temple and they would pray. And so this is, this is something that Peter and John, other Jews would have done many, many different times going up. And, and so God in his providence places this man right in front of them and so what does Peter do? He proclaims uh, Christ to him. This man is, is healed miraculously, and then a, a crowd gathers. So what does Peter do? Okay, there's a crowd here, so I'm going to tell him about Jesus. And so all this happens just in the routine of his normal everyday life. One thing I want you all to remember is that one of the most powerful ways that God works is just through the routine of our everyday life and the situations that he has placed us in. Now let me ask you two simple questions. First of all, Is God sovereign over everything that happens? You can answer that one. Yes, all right, good, that's right, you're right on that. God is sovereign over every single thing that happens. Every single thing that happens in your life, God stands sovereign over in such a way that he is directing things toward his ends. Okay, we stand on that truth. Now, second question. Is it possible that God has sovereignly placed you where you are in the life situation that you have right now For the purpose of making his name known. Absolutely. Okay, so if it is God's purpose to glorify his name, to make his name known, and see the gospel expand across the world, and God is sovereign over everything, then maybe it's the case that God has placed you right where you are for the purpose of you making Christ known right where you are. I'm not not talking about missions here yet. We'll deal with some of that later. But for right now, just thinking about where God has placed you, is it perhaps possible that God in his sovereignty, student, has placed you on the team that you're on for making Christ known in that team? Is it possible that God has placed you in the job that you have for making Christ known in the job that you have with your coworkers? Is it possible that God has planted you on whatever street it is that you live on so that the gospel will be made known on that street? Absolutely. We we need to get this idea. We need to get this picture that God in his sovereignty has put us where he desires us for the right now at this moment for making Christ known right where we are. And so once you think about where God has placed you, where God has planted you, and how is it that you can make him known? This is the mission that you have. And so if you think about what we've been talking about that's going to be coming up on, on August, Sunday nights in August, this is exactly why we're doing what we're doing in August. You remember one thing that we've talked about is how we're not going to be having normal Sunday night church services during the month of August. Instead, what we're going to be doing is encouraging you to take that time to do something intentional for the advancement of the gospel that you can do something that's in the average, normal routine of your life and use that for a means of proclaiming Christ. And so if you're a golfer, you can gather with some people that, that are unchurched, unbelievers, and play golf with them, and you have 18 holes, however long that takes, for proclaiming Christ there, for building a relationship or for sharing the gospel, wherever God is taking that. Or that you can take where you live. And you can start sharing the gospel in your neighborhood because we've already got that six to seven time blocked off. We can use the routine of our normal everyday life for proclaiming Christ. So this, this right here is the whole reason that we're doing that in August and so that we can take the relationships that we already have, the routines that we already have, and use those for gospel purposes because we remember that the mission of the church is to make Christ known. And that means the mission that you have, if you are a follower of Christ, is to make Christ known. And let that start with where you are, where God has sovereignly planted you. Now that, that's our mission. But, it should come as no surprise to us that that mission, that the message of the mission is opposed. Because the nature of the world is to reject the message of our mission. The nature of the world is to reject the message of our mission. Listen to what happens now in response to Peter boldly proclaiming the gospel. Pick up in Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 1. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They laid hands on them, put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. Now, what were Peter and John doing? They were just simply proclaiming the name of Christ. And now here they're thrown in jail for that. But in reality, that that shouldn't come as any surprise to Peter and John. It definitely doesn't come as any surprise to us because this is exactly what Jesus said. Jesus said, Matthew 10, You'll be hated because of my name. If you are my follower, you're going to be hated. He also said, If the world hates you, keep in mind that they hated me first. Hey, you're going to be hated if you follow after me. This is, this is the message that Paul gives us as well. He said that, that the cross is a stumbling block. He says it's foolishness to the world. I mean, think about what we're proclaiming here. Think about exactly what is the message that we're telling people. When we go proclaim the gospel, what we're telling them is that a carpenter who was put to death by the Roman government 2,000 years ago is the answer to everything in this world. All the world revolves around this murdered carpenter 2,000 years ago. I mean, can, can you imagine how crazy that might sound to someone? And, oh, and, and let me tell you this about this carpenter. He, he was raised three days later, and he went back up into heaven. This this is the hope for your life. This is something that the world hears and they think, that's absolutely crazy. So it shouldn't come as any surprise to us that this message is rejected. Because not only does it, from outside ears, sound like it's a wild tale, but just the nature of sinful fallen man. Paul says that the, the cross is a stumbling block. Not only are we telling him that this crucified carpenter is the son of God. But we're saying to him that, that at the core, you have a problem. At the core, you are, you are dead in your sin. Now This isn't a message that anyone wants to hear. So should it surprise us at all when people buck against the message that we're proclaiming, that you're dead in your sin, you need Christ, as the only way that you can have your sins forgiven. This totally goes against the way of the thinking of the world. So it shouldn't come as a surprise to us when biblical truth and the gospel in particular is opposed. Now obviously, obviously one of the things that, that weighs heavy on our hearts right now is the recent Supreme Court decision that legalizes gay marriage. This is, this is something that rightfully grieves those who hold to the truth of God's word not only because God's picture of of marriage is is turned upside down and perverted but perhaps even more that people are finding their their satisfaction in something that is so incapable of meeting what they really need. You know, they're, they're seeking to find their, their meaning or their hope or their pleasure or their satisfaction or whatever it is in this relationship, and that can never satisfy. And so it, it's something that grieves us that we see this taking place, but at the same time, it's not something that should fully surprise us. Because if we, if we look back on the scope of human history, we see history just riddled with people doing things that we just cannot imagine. People standing around in a coliseum cheering as slaves battle it out and kill each other, finding that as their sport and entertainment. For thousands of years, culture is approving of and thinking that it's Morally good thing to have slavery. For cultures boasting of abortion and the murder of babies. So honestly, it doesn't come as any surprise to us when we see the gospel and biblical truth radically opposed. Because the message of the gospel... The message of Scripture is radically opposed to the things that we see around us. So, as we think about that, it shouldn't surprise us. And it definitely isn't something that surprised God. Herschel York, a, a pastor uh, in Frankfurt and also a professor at Southern Seminary, wrote right after the Supreme Court decision, he he wrote this. I want you to hear this. People are no more lost now than they have ever been. And Jesus is no less Lord now than he will ever be. We dare not cower in our churches as though God has lost anything. The only decision handed down that matters is that the gates of hell cannot prevail against his truth. Nothing can stand in opposition to our God and stay standing. Our God reigns over everything and there is nothing that can stand against our God. So the truth has been opposed. The truth will continue to be opposed. The gospel has been opposed. The gospel will continue to be opposed. What is needed now is not a church cowering in fear or a church that's blowing a trumpet to take back a country, but the people of God being unflinching, unwavering in the mission that God has given to them. And that mission is making Christ known. There is only one solution to the world's problems that we see around us, and that is Jesus Christ himself. The things that we see around us are not political primarily in nature. They're not social primarily in nature, but the needs of the world are spiritual in nature. And there is only one answer to a spiritual problem that is a spiritual solution, and that is Jesus Christ himself. And so that is why we have the mission. That is why we must be so bold and standing firm in this this gospel message because the world's needs aren't political, they're not social, it's spiritual, it's Christ alone is the need of the world. And so this is the message that we have to proclaim today. And this is exactly what Peter does in the face of opposition. Look again at what Peter does here. You know, he's, he's pulled into uh, uh, to jail, and now he has to stand before all the Jewish leaders. And so l- listen to what he says in, in chapter 4, verse 8. Pick up right there. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the peoples of Israel that by the name of Christ Jesus the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. What does Peter do when he's he's confronted with this opposition? He proclaims Christ. And so now the Jewish leaders are are perplexed at this. They see Peter just being so bold in proclaiming Christ. So they confer together and start start asking, what are we going to do with these men? No one can deny that this man who was lame, he has been sitting here for 40 years. Now, He's jumping up and down. He's running around. No one can deny that this has happened. What are we going to do about it? So they come up with the idea that they're going to tell him, no longer can you speak in the name of Jesus Christ. No longer can you mention this. As now I want you to listen to, to what Peter says here. He, he says that uh, a, after this, he says uh, in verse 19, Peter and John answer and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to, to you rather than to God, you be the judge, for we cannot Stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. We cannot stop. You tell us to stop, but we will not stop speaking of Jesus Christ. So now, I want you to understand what is actually taking place here. Peter and John are standing in front of probably some of the same people who, who led to Jesus' death on the cross, who ordered his execution. And they know that. They know that what could be next for them is facing the exact same thing. And so what does Peter do? Jesus boldly proclaims Christ all the more. Will he stammer? Will he hem-haw around? Will he lie? Will he make claims, whatever? No, he stands firm on the truth of of who Christ is. Church, let me tell you this. If it is our ambition to make Christ known, we will be opposed. If it is your ambition to make Christ known, if that is your message, if you hold that as the mission that Christ has given to you, you will be looked down on. You may lose friends, you may lose family, you may lose your job, and there may come a point where you lose your life. And I want to tell you, that is okay. Because when we were called as followers of Christ, we were called with the same call as disciples, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. But we were also given the same warning and the same command. That if you come after me, you must take up your cross and follow me. And I'm afraid that sometimes we have Americanized what Jesus was saying there. And we have made it easier than what it actually is. Jesus was not saying when he said, take up your cross and follow me. He wasn't saying, hey, just die to yourself a little bit. But he was saying, hey, follow me and suffer and possibly die for following me. As this, this is what it means to be a disciple, that we, we follow no matter the cost, that we boldly proclaim Christ no matter what it may cost us, as that's the mission that we have today. The mission has not changed. It's making Christ known. The opposition has not changed. We will always be opposed for proclaiming Christ. But let us have the attitude that we will stand in boldness even though we are opposed with the message of Christ. A man by the name of of C.T. Studd was a famous cricket player in England in the late 1800s. I know we probably don't know a whole lot about cricket, but this was a huge thing in England at the time. And so he he was very famous, very well paid in this, and felt uh, God calling him to the mission field. And so he left for the mission field, uh, leaving behind his cricket and fans and salary and everything else. And this is one thing that he said. The God of heaven, he will fight for us as we for him. We will not build on the sand but on the bedrock of the sayings of Christ. The gates and minions of hell shall not prevail against us. Should such men as we fear before the whole world, yes, before the sleepy, lukewarm, faithless, namby-pamby Christian world, we will dare to trust our God. He's pretty bold in his statements here. We will venture our all for him. We will live, we will die for him. We will do, with, do it with his joy and singing aloud in our hearts. We will a thousand times sooner die trusting only in our God than live trusting in man. The same mission that we have, making Christ known. Opposition is still going to be there. Are we going to stand bold in proclaiming the truth of Christ? Are we going to continue with the mission that we have been given? You know, you, you may look at Peter And you may look at some missionary like C.T. Studd, this guy you may have never heard of. But these guys who you know are standing firm on the gospel. And you may look at them and say, there's no way I can be bold like that. How can I stand? How can I make such bold statements in the face of somebody making fun of me? Or opposition, or whatever it might be. My answer to you is the exact same way that Peter did. Look Look at verse 13 of chapter 4. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. We look at ourselves and say, who am I? But look at Peter and John. What what did the world say about them? These, These are just uneducated, untrained men. These are just fishermen. But what do they have? They've been with Jesus. And so let me ask you a few questions. Do you know Christ? Second, do you have his word? Third, do you have the spirit? Now, if you are a Christ follower in this room, then you have those three things. And so you have the same things that Peter and John had. So you have everything that is required of you, everything that you need for standing firm on the word of God, everything that you need for living pleasing to God, everything that you need for standing bold with the mission that has been given to us. You have the same thing that Peter had. So what we have to do is is trust in Christ, trust in his word, and stand bold in this. So if you are in Christ, you have a mission. If you are in Christ, this mission will lead to rejection. It will lead to opposition. And so the question is, how do we respond to that? How do we respond to the opposition that we see? How do we respond to a world opposed to the gospel? We respond the same way that that Peter and the rest of the church did. Pick up again at the end of Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 23. How do we respond? Where does the power of mission come from? Power for the mission comes through prayer. When they'd been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and sea and all that is in them. What's their response when this happens? It's prayer. Do they they go back and Peter and John fret and wring their hands and say, what are we going to do? Do they go back and say, oh, we need to stand for our rights as Jews? Or do they go back and say, we need to organize something to stand against those who are opposed to Christ? No, the first thing they do is they bow their knees in prayer. And the reason is because there is no more powerful thing that you and I can do than to pray. I want you to understand this, church. There is nothing more powerful that you and I can do than to pray. Because when we do that, we are communing with the one who has all power and all authority. Look look at what they call God. Look at the way they describe him. They say, Sovereign Lord, Master. This is a word in the Greek that that describes the control, the authority, the reigning over things that God has. And they say, you're the one who created the heaven and the seas and all that is in them. Why are they saying these things? Because they're reminding themselves that God is the one who is sovereign over all these things. If God is the one who spoke the earth into existence, if God is the one who fills the earth and guides everything that happens, is not God the one who stands sovereign over everything that is happening in the world? Do you think that the Jewish leaders had any strength to thwart the will of God? Do you think that there is anyone alive today who has any power to thwart the will of God? Absolutely not. He is the one who reigns supreme over all things. He is the one with all authority and power. He is the one who has all things in his hands. Listen to, what, listen to what they say in verse 27. For truly in this city they were gathered to get together against your holy servants, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. Now, Lord, take note of their threats. Grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders took place to the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I mean, they're saying, God, you, you predestined everything with, with Jesus, with the death of your son. So if you did that, we know you're in charge of everything else. We know that you have all power and authority. So God, take note of what is going on right now and make it that we stand firm and that we continue to be bold. I mean, l- listen to what they're praying here. In this prayer, are they asking for the persecution to cease? Are they praying that the Jews will have a change of mind? And what they're praying is that they would speak the word with all confidence, with all, bo- with all, bo- uh, with all strength and confidence. Is this not what we should pray as well? When we, when we have the mission that's been given to us, and when the message of that mission is opposed Should not the church's response be to fall on our knees and pray that we would have boldness in proclaiming that message? Now, I I don't know about you, but I look at myself and I know that one of the things that I need is boldness. I think especially for us, it's very easy for us to sit back and to make very little mention of the gospel. I know that's probably something each one of us in here can look at ourselves and say, yeah, that's something I struggle with. It's a lot easier for me just to stay silent and not talk to my neighbors about this or my family or my coworkers. It's a lot easier for me just to do my job and then go home. The need that you and I have is boldness. Boldness with the message that has been trusted to us, with the mission that has been given to us. And so what we need to do is to pray together. To pray that God will grant us boldness that can only come from Him. So tonight, that's what we're going to do. And every night in July, every Sunday night in July. If you've looked at the insert that you have in your order of worship, on the back of the faith talk, there is the list of the prayer gatherings that we have. We are going to be gathering together as a church, praying for us as believers as a church to boldly proclaim Christ. To Invest in relationships where God has placed us and to make Christ known where he has placed us. And so I encourage you to make plans to be at one of these. Pick the one that's closest to you and come there. Notice there that some of them say there are going to be homes that they're going to make it easier for your kids. Be there. You know, a lot of times on Sunday nights we're, we may be a little bit more relaxed or we may do things a little different. And I know that Sunday mornings is probably the time that most of us gather together. But I want to encourage you to gather together for prayer this Sunday night, tonight, for us proclaiming Christ to Somerset and Pulaski County. God has sovereignly put you here. God has sovereignly brought us together as a church body. So let us do what we see the early church doing. and Let us gather together in prayer, asking for God to give us boldness and to bless our outreach. In verse 31, we see, When they prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. So I ask you, Grace Baptist Church, do we believe that this can happen here, Grace Baptist Church? That if we gather together and we pray for boldness, do we believe that our God is able to answer us and give us boldness that is only Spirit-empowered? We believe that is possible. And so if we believe that is possible, let us act on that by gathering together on our faces pleading for God to do something that only He can do. Because only He can change Somerset, Plassey County, and the rest of this world. So let let us be that body that calls on God to do only what He can do as we do what we are called to do and to make Christ known. Let's pray together. sovereign Lord one who made the heavens and the earth and all that is in them you are the one who predestined everything that happened to Jesus Christ and you are the one who reigns sovereign in every aspect of our lives you are the one who has sovereignly placed us where we are And so, God, we pray that you will work in us a faithfulness to the mission that you have given us. And we pray, God, that you will do something in us that can only happen by you. God, I pray that you will stir in us by your Spirit to create a boldness by the filling of your Spirit. I pray that as we gather for prayer tonight that we will be shaken. That we will see and experience an outpouring of your spirit that leads to us going out with boldness, with confidence, and making Christ known where you have put us. So God, we plead this, knowing that you are sovereign master over all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.